This is Common Ground Radio, an hour-long discussion of local food and organic agriculture with people here in the state of Maine and beyond, brought to you each month by the Maine Organic Farmers and Gardeners Association in conjunction with WERU 89.9, your community radio station. I'm Holly Cedarholm, and I'm with my co-host, Caitlin Barker. Caitlin, what was this month's show about? Hey, Holly. Um, This month was all about school garden programs in Maine. So I was joined by a panel of three guests, Brittany Lehman, Director of Health, Wellness and Safety for RSU 22 and the Vice Chair of the Maine School Garden Network, David Wessels, Garden Coordinator at Troy Howard Middle School in Belfast, Maine, and Ryan Parker, Maine's Food Corps Impact and Partnerships Lead. So we discussed school gardens in Maine and how they can get started, how they can be maintained, and then the impact they have on students, educators, and communities. It was a really valuable conversation, and I think our listeners are going to enjoy it. I think so, too. I'm really looking forward to it. All right. Thanks, everybody, for joining me today. Let's take a few minutes to go around and introduce ourselves and talk a little bit about the work you do as related to school gardens. Brittany, you want to jump in first? Sure thing. My name is Brittany Lehman, and I'm the Director of Health, Wellness, and Safety for Regional School Unit 22. And we are located outside of Bangor, so we encompass four towns, Hamden, Newburgh, Winterport, and Frankfort. I have been with the district. This is now my ninth school year, and my job has evolved. Uh, When I started, I was a school nurse and part-time wellness coordinator for employees. And now I manage all of our safety protocols, our multitude of gardens and um, greenhouses we have in our district, along with our health services um, department in our district. Great. David, you want to jump in next? Hi, uh, my name is David Wessels, and I'm the garden coordinator at RSU 71 um, at Troy Howard Middle School. So we're in Belfast, and I work mostly with seventh graders, uh, sixth, seventh, and eighth. And I'm a teacher, but my classroom is a third of an acre garden year-round greenhouse and woods behind the school. So I teach all subjects in the garden. We grow a couple thousand pounds of food each year for our school cafeteria. Uh, We do a lot of seed saving at Troy Howard's. We have a small seed company where we sell seeds that we've grown ourselves and do a bunch of other stuff outside in the garden. So toss it to Ryan. Awesome. Thanks, everyone. My name is Ryan Parker. I'm the Associate Director of Programs for Food Corps here in Maine. And Food Corps is a national nonprofit that serves in 13 states and Washington, D.C. And Maine is one of the original states where Food Corps set up partnerships with local school districts. So we currently have partnerships with seven communities around the state, from Portland to the Katahdin region, from Stratton to Belfast, and some places in between. And what we do is essentially work with schools that are interested in experiential learning hands-on education to try to teach kids about healthy food, uh, where food comes from, how to grow it, how to cook and prepare it uh, so that they can go on into adulthood with healthier habits. And we try to do that in a way that connects what happens in the garden to what the kids already have to learn in classrooms, what teachers are teaching towards for standards, different units and curricula. So that's kind of what we do. Uh, A little bit of background about me. I've worked in schools for a a while. Originally, I was working with schools on food waste reduction when I was working at the Natural Resources Council of Maine. And uh, before that, I was a commercial farmer for 12 to 15 years. 
had a number of CSA accounts, a couple of farmers markets and some wholesale accounts and uh, raised lots of different animals and organic vegetables. Great. Thank you all for introducing yourselves. So Ryan, you kind of touched on this, but we can jump right into it. Um, the purpose of school garden programs, like what's the overarching purpose in your experiences? And feel free anyone to jump in and um, talk about your own experience. My experience has basically been that the most successful garden programs are typically started by a really excited teacher who is interested more specifically in an, in an individual unit or uh, something to do with the curriculum that they're already teaching and see gardening as a way to enhance that learning. And this is something that most teachers recognize is very valuable is that most kids, I hazard a guess to say all kids learn better when they're actually doing uh, rather than listening. Some kids, you know, are great at sitting still, can, you know, memorize easily, uh, have no problem in a classroom setting. Um, but even those kids um, learn a lot better and make deeper neuro connections when they're doing something with their hands, moving their body. And teachers recognize and understand that. And so the garden typically provides an opportunity for to do just that, get kids up out of their seat, get them outside, breathing fresh air, uh, getting them to stretch out a little bit, but also the garden provides so many opportunities to connect with existing curriculum. So teachers can really use it as a way to enhance what they're already learning. Um, so I've seen teachers use square foot gardening as a way to teach fourth graders area and volume calculations. I've seen educators make a fruit salad with kids uh, in a cooking lesson or an after school cooking club. So ostensibly, the, the lesson is about just making the fruit salad and getting kids to eat a healthier snack. But while they're making the fruit salad, kids are sort of surreptitiously learning how to uh, measure, divide, multiply fractions, and to cooperate with each other. Because when you have a, a group of kids in a classroom, you know, maybe you have 10 or 12 kids in an after school cooking club, um, it's challenging to get all of those kids to have a job and, and be invested in something as simple as a fruit salad. Um, so that can be a little bit challenging, but once they are invested, they're sort of, as I said, learning that, that curriculum without really focusing on it. And it's sort of happening in the background. And I've seen that, that that is really powerful and helps kids learn a lot and helps teachers reach kids a lot, a lot more easily. Brittany, what's your experience been with your program? Sure. So um, I came at this with more of a clinical approach. I was an acute care nurse for a decade before I came into education and, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? So you need safety, you need food, you need shelter. And like my pitch to my superintendent was, you know, these kids need to know where their food's coming from. They need to understand that the carrot doesn't always come out of a bag, that you can actually pull it out of the ground, brush it off in the grass and taste just as sweet, maybe even better. So that was my focus in the very beginning was just to really teach that basic, like, hey, get out in the environment and like, let's see what we can grow. And from there, it grew into what Ryan talked about is those like curriculum connections. You don't have to have a garden curriculum. You could be doing your circumference, learning how to do circumference. Well, grab an apple. Let's make that happen by measuring that or you know, let's learn about how the earth is structured. Hey, guess what? You can grab an apple and do the same thing with the skin and the core and the whole nine yards. So 
really being able to teach my teach my colleagues to be brave and to go out there and use that garden as a tool to to really enhance what they're already doing. So we have made some great strides in our district. You know, it started off kind of as a one woman show with the with the garden and getting in. And then it moved to being, uh, you know, we're a farm and sea to school institute member for the state of Maine. And we really are making those connections like grow and be really strong. David, what's been your experience, like the purpose of your program and and how you could maybe even talk a little bit about how it started? Sure. Um, It started before my time, but it started small. You know, some kids said, let's start a pumpkin patch at school. And this was back 20 years ago now more and we had very poor soil you know hard marine clay soil it was a gravel pad for a bus garage where they decided to start the garden Um, but they were stubborn about it and they did it and hauled in leaves from the town and seaweed from the ocean and started composting food scraps from the cafeteria and you know over time we've built up the most beautiful soil i've ever seen in waldo county the garden has just gradually grown over the years. It's, you know, 300 feet long down the driveway now. And like Britt and Ryan said so well, I mean, it's a place for me where kids learn by directly participating in the world. And so it's kind of an older idea of education, not as adding facts to your brain, but as actually developing relationships with food, with animals, with plants with other humans, with wind, with sun, you know, with all these different beings that you share the earth with. And yes, when you have those relationships, when you love carrots and you know how to grow them and you know how to harvest them, you also happen to be able to learn those facts better, which we call standards, you know, and it's kind of how we conceptualize education now is like a long list of facts you should probably know. Um, But I think for me, you know, the relationship piece is much more fundamental and we often skip over it in school now. And it turns out if you skip that step, it's also really hard to learn anything because you remember what you love and what you care about. And um, I just was talking to a colleague up at the high school the other day and she said, it's crazy. These kids don't remember anything from science class. I was, you know, I was trying to ask them about this, that, or the other thing. And they don't remember a thing that they learned. And they remember everything that happened in the garden. And to me, that's just self-evident because, you know, you when you have real experiences and relationships that go on, that's kind of what holds knowledge together. And that's what connects it to you. That experiential learning certainly has an impact in my experience as a former teacher and former student myself. I think social-emotional learning is getting some more attention now, especially as we've worked our way through a pandemic to this point and realized what an impact it's having on our students. And it feels like now would be a really opportune time to consider the impact that school gardening programs can have on student learning, for sure. So if there's an educator out there who wants to start a program and doesn't know how to go about it, what's, what's your best advice? Um, and feel free, anyone who wants to jump in. I'll, I'll go first on this one. Um, I am, I'm always like wanting folks to be vocal and be bold. Like you want a school garden, you, you can make it happen. You need to be the cheerleader for it and be enthusiastic. And when you run into a little bit of a, 
a barrier. It's not a barrier. It's just a challenge, right? And that challenge can be overcome. So this, the time is right for school gardens. This is the great opportunity, like you just mentioned, coming out of our COVID-19 pandemic, where a lot of the focus was on outdoor learning, right? There was a point where they're like, you can't really eat your cheeseburger in a cafeteria. So this, you need to eat outside. So why not take advantage of that and and really get those kids outside? And you can, you know, even if it's simply reading your read aloud story outside, that's a great start. So be enthusiastic, um, find a mentor, someone who can help guide you, someone who can give you some of the language you need to do when you go and pitch it to your principal or your superintendent. And I'm going to steal Ryan's thunder a little bit because he likes to talk about going to school boards and and, and making that pitch there. And it's really important to get those community members on board and to be highlighting all the wonderful things that um, a school garden can do. And what I've found for school gardens is that they really give our kids a voice. And I'm going to share a little story. Um, I was working, we're doing a school-wide garlic plant at my uh, little elementary school in Winterport. And a little girl was helping me. We were actually helping with the orchard to her straightening some trees. And she asked me what my favorite plant was. And I said, well, that's such a hard, hard thing to say. I have so many. And she told me her favorite was a sunflower. And this little girl's in fourth grade. And I said, why a sunflower? She goes, because their face moves with the sun. Well, yeah, that's awesome. Like, that's exactly right. And she asked if we could plant some. And I said, that sounds like a fantastic idea. That little girl is very quiet and she wouldn't have been bold enough to say that if we hadn't have been outside and interacting. And I think it's just a wonderful thing to give our kids a voice. So why wouldn't we want to do that? You know, no one, I think we'd be hard pressed to find an administrator who's going to say no to a school garden. There's no wrong to doing it other than a little bit of lawn being broken up. Yeah, I might just add, um, start with what you have and start where you are, you know, a lot of people come to Troy Howard to see our gardens because they're big and beautiful and we grow a lot of food and sometimes they go away like, oh man, that we'll never get there. But we started, like I said, with a little pumpkin patch on soil that any reasonable gardener would have told you not to try to have a garden on. Um, but even if you have a, you know, a parking lot, there are plants growing through the cracks in the parking lot. There are things that you can go outside and see and learn about and that excitement is contagious so you know get to know the land where you are and the plants that grow there and the animals that live there and the community you know the history of your community Um, a lot of Maine communities have agricultural history and all Maine communities have you know indigenous history Wabanaki history too so you know all of that starting in your place and getting to know your place uh, and like Brett said, just go outside, right? It doesn't matter. If, if you don't have a good lesson plan, still go outside and something cool will happen. But it takes a little bit of courage to to take that first step. Yeah, I agree with everything that's been said. I think um, that what David just said, go outside is, you know, even if you don't have a school garden, most schools in Maine are in rural settings and even in places where they're not. Um, food Corps, you know, helped create a garden program in at Albert Hall uh, School in Waterville, which is very urban, uh, particularly for Maine. And they have their playground is paved. There's no green space whatsoever. And the garden teacher there, or a fourth grade teacher there, she was not a garden coordinator, but she started fourth grade teacher who'd been there for 30 years, decided to build some raised beds on right on the pavement. And it turned into just, I think they had 
maybe six or seven raised beds, but then they, you know, made wood chip paths and they had an, a gazebo type thing, a, a structure in there. They built rice patties out of cinder blocks and plastic, and it just kind of expanded from very humble beginnings, but it was all on pavement and they just sort of built up. Uh, so there was no excavation involved and it was just a, a matter of getting the authorization to use that small corner of the parking lot, essentially, uh, for a school garden. And I think that is really the key to, to what I would say to answer the, the question you've posed, Caitlin, is start small. Uh, if you do want to have a school garden, you know, David said, go outside. I think that's, that's completely accurate. I mean, as I said, if you don't have a school garden, you can go outside in the woods and turn over a rotten log and amazing questions will come from kids um, when they when they see what's crawling under there or the fungi or any manner of things. And that could be just the gateway to more outdoor learning. And like I said earlier, that can over 80% of the outdoor learning that happens in Maine happens in school gardens. And it's sort of just a an easy sort of gateway into outdoor learning. But I would say that there, you know, there are some, there are some considerations. One is that I think it's important to, like Brittany said, getting, getting people on board, the school board, the superintendent, the, you know, your building administrator, whoever it might be, there's a group of people in your school who will be champions for this because they will catch your enthusiasm. So I would talk to them first. A lot of times what I've seen all around the country and certainly in Maine is, you know, as I said, a, a really excited educator, maybe a science teacher or something gets excited, writes a grant, gets some money, builds some raised beds, and then something happens. Either the teacher moves to another school or retires or COVID hits. And, you know, then three years later, you've got a bunch of weedy raised beds in the front of the school that everybody thinks is an eyesore. And that's not a failure of school gardens. That's a failure of community around them. And what that comes down to is people thinking that they're in it alone when they're not. So there's a lot of community that can be built in your school, both with amongst the staff, but with your students as well. And that's a great way for you to bring parents and guardians and neighbors into the school, which is something that all schools are focusing on right now, particularly in the wake of the pandemic when parents and volunteers were completely kept out of schools for a couple of years. Most schools are turning that around and trying to figure out how they can get parents back into the school's back and, you know, involved again. And a school garden is a great way to do that. But also um, just, I would say that there's a broader community. Um, you know, Brittany is the vice chair of the Maine School Garden Network. I'm on the, on the network. There's Maine Ag in the Classroom. There's MOFCA. There's all these different organizations that have some level of support for educators and school gardens. And I would say just, you know, start doing some research, start reaching out to all of us and we can help you. This is what Food Corps does. As an example, we helped. We that's what we do is help help build garden programs in schools. Um, so you're not in it alone. And I would say have some conversations before you write that grant, before you you know get out and start digging. But in the meantime, as David said, just go outside with your kids and let them ask questions. And you may not know the answers. And I've found that one of the best ways to learn is to teach and if you have an open mind and you can be honest with the kids and say, I don't know, but let's find out together. I think they respect that uh, a lot of times. So um, I just think it's great to just get going and get outside and build your gardens, you know, start small and work with, with the people and the tools that you have at your disposal. Great. Thanks, Ryan. 
If you're just tuning in, I'm Caitlin Barker, and this is Common Ground Radio, brought to you by the Maine Organic Farmers and Gardeners Association on WERU 89.9 FM. On today's show, we're discussing school garden programs in Maine. I'm joined by Ryan Parker, Maine Food Corps' Impact and Partnerships Lead, Brittany Lehman, Director of Health, Wellness, and Safety for RSU 22, and David Wessels, Garden Coordinator at Troy Howard Middle School in Belfast. I want to talk about some of the obstacles that are facing educators, and of course, we've already discussed a few. Um, one of the main ones I see is time and money. So what are some of the obstacles facing educators who are interested in starting a garden program? So what I hear over and over again is time, uh, that we're time poor. And I I own that. Like if I had a couple extra hours of daylight in my day, ooh, what a, what a fantastic life I would lead. But uh, you have to be able to adjust to that, right? So it doesn't have to be an additional thing you're doing. What I, what I encourage people is to look for ways to already connect it to what they're doing. So if you're already doing an Apple lesson in your classroom because that is the curriculum you have selected as a school building, hey, that's an easy connection. But if you're doing something that you have to be a little more critical, we already talked about just go outside and do it. Um, so time is the, the one I hear a lot. And then I hear um, my administration won't support it. Well, I actually sit in an administrative role. So I like to counter that one with some pretty big muscles because I feel like that we are seeing that tide change in the last couple of years. And our administrators want to see those kids have that social emotional learning and have those connections so that they feel like they're in a safe and calm environment and a garden is the best way to do it. So again, be brave and, and talk to your administrator about how you can get out there. I think it's important to know, this is why I said earlier, it's important to have conversations before you you know write that grant, build the raised beds. Because I think it's important to look down the road. Um, just starting a school garden it's actually relatively easy. It's the maintenance and the building of it that is challenging. What I've found uh, through the work that I've done around, around the state and around the country with schools is um, it's always best to have a person who's the hub of the wheel. So the person who's in charge of maintaining the garden. And my experience, um, I'm on the school board in my community and I kind of get to see sort of the back end of budgeting and things like that and the challenges that all educators are facing, whether you're an administrator, a school nurse, a teacher, an ed tech, um, a custodian, doesn't matter. Everybody in schools right now is more than tapped out, um, especially after the pandemic. So I think it's really important to recognize that we, we can't just keep adding one more thing to anybody's plate. So it's really critical to understand the need for a person to be in charge and for them to be compensated for it. So there are multiple different ways that that can happen. You know, we have excellent examples of full-time garden coordinators in schools where the schools, the boards, the communities have recognized the value of that and are willing to put the funding behind it, particularly in, in terms of school budgets. Um, David's a great example of that. There's another one in RSU3. There are, you know, there are a bunch around the state and the country where the community has recognized the incredible value of this and also recognizes that it's not going to happen on its own and that it is more effective if you have someone who can put a lot of time and effort and and experience into it just like any other uh, position you know you want if you want your kids to learn math in high school you're going to have a math teacher 
if you want them to eat, you're going to have school cafeteria staff, et cetera. Uh, so this is just an extension of that. Um, that, you know, it's quite expensive. You know, school budgets are, are tight everywhere, certainly throughout Maine. So a full-time person is, you know, is one of those things where I'm talking about looking long-term, maybe 10 years from now, you know, that's our end goal is to have someone, but how do we start out? I've seen districts kind of shift responsibilities for ed techs. So because they recognize, for instance, the uh, reduction in behavioral referrals that happen when you have a school garden program, this is, you know, I'm not sure how much there is behind it, but anecdotally, I, I talk with administrators and teachers all over the country and certainly the state of Maine. And I've had a number of principals tell me, you know, once we, you know, got food core, or once we had a school garden, the behavioral referrals to my office just plummeted. They are almost existent particularly for the kids in the school that access those programs. So you can, you can think about shifting some of your existing personnel uh, and some of their duties. There's also something called a school garden coach model, which is um, just like a baseball coach or um, a basketball coach. You can actually have a garden coach. So they would receive a stipend, you know, in, in Maine, the average stipend is somewhere between $1,500 and $2,500 a season. And so that's substantially less expensive than, uh, you know, a full-time person's salary and benefits in a school budget. Um, but you would also want to think about, you know, a, a baseball coach is one season, but a garden coach is um, nearly year-round. If not year-round, you could certainly look at it as a three-season thing. And so folks should be compensated uh, accordingly, uh, maybe three seasons worth of stipend, but that's still substantially less uh, of an investment. Um, but still, I think beginning is usually just one excited person uh, who gets into this and wants to build it. Anyone else want to jump in there with anything about? Um, I might just say, you know, I think one thing that I see happening is schools will, like these guys said, one person will start a project and then they'll, you know, they'll maybe write a grant for a greenhouse or maybe write a grant to build some raised beds. Um, and then they'll say, I don't, nobody's using it or it's just empty. There are a lot of empty greenhouses sitting around at schools because it's much easier to get a grant for $10,000 sitting at your laptop than it is to sit down with four or five people and make a plan. Like, how are we going to make this happen? And actually go out and um, dig the beds and plant the seeds and pull the weeds and all of that. And I think, you know, that points back to relationships where if, if you want to get a program going, you know, start with building those relationships with your allies within the school, be they students or parents or administrators, you know, whoever is supportive. Can you sit down together? Can you um, come up with a plan and, and go out and do it uh, before you start getting all those big ticket items? Because um, a greenhouse is a big project to manage. Everybody wants a greenhouse because they're cool and shiny. But um, until you have that, those relationships up and running and working um it won't help you to have all the all the shiny stuff in the world i think i'll just add to that that i think that a couple of things one is um the team aspect is really important it's really important to know that you're not in this alone it's a lot like i said every teacher is tapped every custodian everyone is you know we can't just add one more thing but if you, you can sort of spread spread the the load of the work around throughout the school community, and one way to do that is to actually form uh, what we call a farm to school team, 
And so there are actually um, what they call institutes and you can actually have, you know, dedicated professional development time as a team. Uh, and you can create the type of plan that David was just referring to. So thinking about long-term goals, but also putting concrete objectives together. And, and so I would, I would encourage folks to, to look into the Northeast Farm to School Institute, which is based in Vermont, but they accept teams from Maine as well as we just this year kicked off the inaugural Maine Farm and Seed to School Institute, which is based on the Vermont model. Um, so this is, these are things that happen every year and there's an application process that usually begins sometime in January, February ish. And I would encourage anyone to look into those, read into the applications. You can certainly reach out to me, um, ab about my experience. I've coached a number of teams for both of these. Uh, and it's a great way to get started and get buy-in from multiple stakeholders, you know, to be accepted into either of these institutes, you're a teacher, an administrator, a school cafeteria. So basically everyone that could be in any way tangentially associated with gardens in the school would have input into this team and what the goals are. Ryan, you're talking about some great resources for educators. And on that same note, I'm thinking about like Maine School Garden Network. Um, Brittany, can you talk a little bit about the resources the network provides and how to access them? Sure thing. So I did do a poor job in my introduction in stating that I am the uh, vice chair of the Maine School Garden Network, and I will be the chair in January of this organization. And um, it has been around since 2009, it, um, but it has evolved in the last two years. It's an amazing group of people, volunteer-based, except we do have two coordinators that we've recently hired that have really taken this program to the next level. So what it can offer is, you know, we have a beautiful website, newly designed, and it has tons of links to, you know, curriculum connections and funding connections, volunteer um, ideas, such as the example I'll give is, you know, Cooperative Extension, Humane Cooperative Extension has their Master Gardener program. Well, those lovely people need to have master gardener volunteer hours. Well, a best great place to do that is a school garden. Um, we can also help you with ideas of how you can fund your your school garden through grants. Um, uh, we connect people with Maine Agriculture in the Classroom. That is a wonderful organization that can fund a variety of ag-based uh, programs. And we also give names and, you know, our board members information is on there. We have folks who are in staff education, food poor, I'm school-based, and we'd love to share the information and advice that we have. And then finally, here's my plug for the uh, spring. We have our Maine School Garden Day. That'll be on May 13th, and that will be hosted at Reedsbrook Middle School here in Hamden. And it's an all-day event where you can come and get professional development, network with colleagues from across the state and i am happily going to be able to showcase our uh, school garden program to folks we've been trying to do this um school garden day since 2020 and finally we're in a space where we're going to be able to do that so um just search on you know google us up main school garden network and you'll find a really great website and a lot of good information on it Nice. We'll put the links to these resources in the show notes, which are found at weru.org. So a more general question that may stir up some anecdotal evidence, who, who benefits from your school garden programs? Where do you see these impacts happening? 
I think, I mean, every, I really think everyone benefits from school garden program. All students benefit. Um, I, I would say that some of the kids that very clearly and obviously stand out are kids who really struggle in a traditional academic setting. So, um, and often those are kids with a background of drama or poverty or different challenges that they come to school with, which can prevent them from succeeding in the, in the traditional, um, environment. And so I end up hanging out with those kids a lot. Um, and I, you know, one kind of kid that I, that helps me a lot in the garden are the kids who teachers have a real hard time containing, right? If they're, if they're breaking things inside, they end up with me simply because the school has a hard time containing them. And, and those kids are just, I love, are just such a joy to work with and such a pleasure because they're so happy to be working with their hands. They have so much knowledge and so many skills already that they can bring to bear in the garden. Um, and they're just respectful and hardworking for me. And, and I really love when their teachers come out too, and just look so puzzled to see these kids working hard, learning, excited, sharing what they know, because it's all context, you know, it's, um, there's no such thing as a bad kid. It's just what context they're in. And some kids are successful sitting inside all day and some kids aren't. And, um, but, but, you know, I, I think those kids tend to be boys who break stuff. And there are a lot of other kids who are quietly struggling in school, who have a hard time being sedentary all day who really are benefiting in the garden as well. And, it, and um, we want all of them outside in the garden. Yeah. And I, I guess I would say um, one last note on that is that, you know, a lot of kids are struggling with trauma. And what, if you talk to any good trauma therapist, the first thing they'll tell you is that trauma lives in the body and that trauma healing is always a, an embodied process. It involves using your body, moving your body, doing work. I had heard that and I knew that in a factual way, but from working with students with trauma, it is just so clearly undeniably true. And I don't totally understand the mechanics of how healing works. And I don't think you have to, to know that allowing kids to move their bodies and do work outside in the world is um, deeply healing. David, that's beautiful and right on point that you know, you don't know what a lot of what our kids are going through. So having as many of those children outside and participating in gardening is, is a wonderful thing. And what I find with it, that is our teachers have autonomy again, and they feel like that they're not having to, you know, teach in such a scripted world. They can take the script they have and make it their own being outside. And you know, our journey into those curriculum connections in RC 22 is still pretty new. We are, um, inaugural members of the Farm and to School Institute. So we're really trying to make those connections again. So to see that autonomy grow in my teachers is, is a wonderful thing. Um, the, other, the other connection that I see is, you know, in my safety lens, as um, I do a lot of school safety work and, you know, school safety has been in the news for a while now. And if we're building a culture of safety and belonging, those students and those students who may be considered fringe students but are outside and making a valuable adult connection are going to feel safe. So they'll either feel safe and want to come to school 
and not want to harm anyone, or they will find that trusted adult and say to that trusted adult, I'm concerned about a friend. And that's what we need, you know, from that safety lens. So if we can build that culture where they're feeling good and feeling like they want to come to school, that's that's what we want, you know, is just that safe space for all of our kids. I can say um, having some experience as a classroom teacher and utilizing outdoor spaces, the impact that it had on student relationships and learning was huge. Um, and sometimes it was just an observation walk where we were going out and we were seeing what we could see. And sometimes we'd bring a journal and spend 10 minutes journaling about any subject or with a guided prompt. Sometimes it was with a certain thing we needed to do and we'd go out and, you know, empty the compost or we were checking on something that was growing, but it was always more, more than what I expected it to be. It always ended up having more connections made and more conversations, meaningful conversations, or and we even had um, just an area for a sitting area outside near the garden that I used a lot for si like silent reading, just moving students to a different environment that had clear sky and uh, fresh air and uh, birds singing you know even if the kids weren't reading they were quietly sitting and observing so I know it's hard sometimes as an educator to find time in your day that is always already so jam-packed and kind of laid out in front of you to input these little experiences outside to go for a walk or to move a whole lesson outside, but if you can find that flexibility even one or two days a week, I think you'll find that impact just creates waves upon waves that result in, in some really meaningful experiences for the students and for yourself. So if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Common Ground Radio, brought to you by the Maine Organic Farmers and Gardeners Association on WERU 89.9 FM. I'm your host, Caitlin Barker, and today we're talking about school garden programs in Maine with a panel of guest speakers. So I'd like to talk a little bit about how we can support school garden programs. So how can um, someone listening, such as myself, who's not in the school every day or part of a school garden program, support the work you're doing? I mean, one thing that's on my mind is um, go to school board meetings run for school board, vote for school board members, because, um, you know, this is like a huge local democratic institution that has a huge influence on how we raise kids, what they're exposed to, what they're allowed to read in school or not read, you know, whether they're taught in American history or not, all these kinds of issues that are coming up now. And I think now is the time for all of us to really be paying close attention, um, I think it's it's hard for a school board to do great things because it's such it's so distant from the actual on the ground experience of the school. It's really easy for a school board to do bad things and prevent good things from happening. So I think we really need people who are engaged, who care about kids, who are kind of thinking deeply about these things on school boards and 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 involved in other ways in the school as a volunteer. Um, as a substitute teacher, you know, all, all these kind of roles are really important, all these ways that you can connect into. I think we tend to talk a lot about how schools can prepare students as workers for our economy, which of course is important, but I wish we were talking a lot more about how we could 
structure our society to support education, you know, to support children in their education instead of the other way around. Yeah, I completely agree. The first first step for someone who wants to help is understand how public school works and get in there and, you know, volunteer your time. And if it's not in the school garden, it's helping, you know, sort and staple and hole punch. But just to see how a school a school operates in 2022 and, you know, and not to take for granted our public education system that is really very, very, very lovely if it's done correctly. So that would be that in general. But for garden specific, hey, we always need people to weed and water. Um, I'm always looking for someone to help me out in the summer in case I want to go sit by a lake for a couple of days. You know, it's great to to come out and water and you know there are we have systems in place in our district um for a number of years i had a very large garden crew but those kids graduated from high school so i'm kind of starting afresh now and you know to have people who are really interested and you know it doesn't have to be every day it could be a couple days in the summer but just to put yourself out there as a person with an interest and the availability to help would be wonderful yeah, I would echo all of that. I think uh, it's important for the community to support schools in general. Um, and like Brittany said, you know, maybe gardening is not your thing, but schools need a lot of everything right now. Maybe you can read to children. Um, maybe you can help, you know, put together costumes for the the drama club, whatever it might be. And if school, you know, if gardening is your thing, you can lend your expertise. You can, you know, help organize volunteers for a garden work day. Um, work with the work with the teacher on when that could be. Um, you know, a lot of school gardens do a big garden work day in the spring and one in the fall, sort of putting the bed the garden to bed. Those types of things. I think also, you know, if you are interested in supporting a garden, you could be maybe you're on the PTO, um, and this is an issue that you could bring up at a PTO meeting. Maybe this is a way that you can financially support the garden, help them buy you know, age appropriate tools, buy seeds, get some compost, those sorts of things. There are just lots of different ways. And it also kind of depends on what's going on in your school garden. I know there's a, a bunch of great programs. Um, there's a great garden program at Whitefield School um, where they actually, the, the, the students grow a ton of produce and they sell it for very little money on a sort of rolling makeshift uh, farmer's market cart that is open to the public when they come and pick up their kids. And they, you know, so you might be able to get some really amazing vegetables, fruit and vegetables for not a lot of money, but for that program, that money goes back into the program that helps them, you know, do things like build a greenhouse and they have an aquaponics program and that they produce not only almost free food for the community, but they also produce a lot for their uh, school cafeteria that in turn gets on the school trays, which means the kids are eating healthier. Um, so there are lots of different ways. If you have, you know, if your school has a program like that, maybe you can contribute, buy some vegetables once a week when you go pick up your kids. There's lots of different ways that, that people can, can help out these types of programs. Great. Thank you. I'm wondering if anyone has any success stories or, or not so successful stories that they want to share with their experiences running garden programs. One of my favorite success stories is this isn't necessarily a garden program, so bear with me, but 
uh, early on in my when I started here, it was approached that they wanted to have honeybees on campus. So um, I was like, sure, you know, young and naive and we can make this happen. No problem. But we did. And what it was was enthusiasm and using your resources in the area. So we worked with a local um beekeeper and we were able to bring a honeybee apiary onto campus um you know in the end it's ballooned out we're building a pollinator garden and we're doing you know all those great things on campus to support our apiary but we were able to also do community building around that because there were some fears that we had to you know help set aside that our kids were going to be safe and that our apiary was going to be able to produce wonderful honey that we could share and um, we could also do education around um, around pollinators and their importance in agriculture. And it's been a great thing. I go into classrooms and I teach, you know, second graders on how to, to behave and act around bees and that bees don't want to sing you and that when they're working really hard, they're there to support, you know, the plant growth in our area. So that's one of my big success stories in our district with being able to start that and then tie it to the, the classroom. That is great, especially um, being a beekeeper myself. I love hearing about how that can be brought into classroom curriculums. And I'm sure there are people out there who'd love to hear more details about how you made it possible. <laughs> I have a folder all prepared. I love to share that has like your letters and prompts and the whole nine yards and a budget. Uh, we had attempted to put them on our roof of our high school. Uh, it didn't work out quite so well once I got the costs on that one, but it was, it was a fun experience to be able to try to kind of sort through that. So, and that was in 2016 and they're still going, not the same bees, but, <laughs> but the program. Very cool. Um, I think my favorite kind of just mundane success story, which happens every week for me, is when kids try new foods. Um, and I, you know, it just happens all the time that the kids will be like, can we go eat some carrots in the garden? And I keep growing. Kids always want to pull carrots because pulling carrot is one of the most magical experiences, especially if you, I still remember the first one I pulled when I was a kid. So, um, they want to go get a carrot and then eat them. And so I never want to say no. So I could keep growing more and more carrots. I think we're up to like 500 pounds of carrots, something crazy. Um, so I can never, never say no. But then there's always the kid who says, oh, I don't like carrots. And we're all saying, what do you mean you don't like carrots? Go try one. And so usually they can be cajoled. Since they grew them, they're going to try them. And then they try them and they're, they go, oh, my God, this is good is a carrot you know and a lot of kids have never had a real carrot straight from the garden they've had um baby carrots maybe or you know carrots from california that never got a good hard freeze to sweeten them up and um and that to me is just the essence of education to, to try something new to actually have a new experience that you challenge yourself to do and then that changes your own understanding of yourself now i like carrots um and then of course they want to bring some home you know, for their little siblings and stuff. I just had a kid today who I sent home with a butternut squash for Thanksgiving because he was excited about trying it with his family. So for me, in just a real simple way, tasting things and um, realizing you like things you thought you didn't or didn't know you liked um, is really powerful. Mm -hmm. David, you bring up a great point about students in the garden and that 
there's so many opportunities for students to challenge themselves, whether it's physically, mentally, socially. They just, those opportunities really present themselves often outside. And I've seen a lot of students try something new or complete a task they didn't think they could do or work with another student they weren't getting along with before out in the garden and have these experiences where they realize I did something I didn't think I could do. And there's that confidence build there. And that transfers across beyond the garden into the classroom and outside. Um, it's a pretty magical thing to observe. Mm-hmm. And then they find the jalapeno peppers and that's a whole nother story. <laughs> Talk about challenge and initiation. <laughs> Ryan, do you have any success stories in your experiences with garden programs you want to share? Uh, uh, yeah, I guess uh, I, I guess I would echo what David said about trying new things. That's a big thing that we place a lot of value on at Food Core uh, is getting kids to try new things and and. You might have a kid who will go the whole year and not want to try anything new. And then at the end of the year, having seen, you know, their peers all year long trying these different vegetables that they grew or that came, you know, that a food core member or a teacher has prepared in some new way, they might try it at the end of the year. They might finally try a new food and they might not like it. But the fact that they tried it, a kid who's never interested in trying anything, the fact that they were brave enough to try something new that they which is completely outside their comfort zone is a huge win and i think that that's one of the ways that we need to revamp the way we look at education um the outcome of just getting them to try something is a huge benefit because that maybe that just turned turn them around and they'll try you know try different foods or or try something new again in the future but um i i guess also just from a curriculum standpoint you know, I was, when I was growing up, I was one of those kids who was, you know, quote unquote, good at school, which I learned later meant that I could sit still and regurgitate whatever was said to me or whatever I read. I was blessed with a, you know, a memory that worked that way. Um, but it wasn't until I think my junior year of college, I was home visiting my parents and my father was building a deck out behind the house. And the deck was, the dimensions of the deck were such that the tape measure that he had did not reach, um, he, he was trying to figure out how to square up the deck and his tape measure was not long enough for him to measure it that way. So he used the Pythagorean theorem, which I had learned in trigonometry in high school, but then had never used again. And to see, you know, to see that happen in a way where that's something that I use now all the time. I do a lot of building and to, to show kid and I've, you know, I've helped kids, I've helped classes build greenhouses and I'm a huge fan of the kids doing everything. So I, through the work that I do, I volunteer in schools. Um, you know, I remember going into that in the Dixmont school when you were there, Caitlin, and, and, you know, helping kids build a green, build a hoop house, um, from nothing. And I'm a huge fan, like I said, of the kids do everything. I can, I can direct you. I can tell you what needs to go where, but I want the kids cutting the lumber. I want them measuring. And if you're willing to do that, I'll come help you. And I remember working with this one kid who is a kid that I know. Um, This is in my community. And he struggles in school, I think, because he's so smart and so quick um, that he gets himself into trouble. But when he was out in the garden with me, he was incredibly focused and took a real leadership role in building this hoop house that he and his peers were building. And the other kids were looking to him as a leader. And I think that makes a huge impact for him for the rest of his life. 
Yeah. On that note of those experiences, I'm wondering if, um, as we come towards the end of the program, if each of you could speak about what brings you to this work, like what's the root that, that really draws you to this type of work? I'll just keep going since I so keep, keep rolling on. Um, I guess for me, like I said earlier, I was a, a commercial farmer for a long time and that happened to coincide with um, when my wife and I got married and, and we had kids. And um, it was really interesting to me to see, you know, my, I remember my daughter when she was two was out in the garden with me and she asked if she could, she always had an incredible vocabulary, even from an early age, she might've been three. Anyway, she um, was out in the garden with me and she said, daddy, can I have a beet grade? And I said, sure. And it occurred to me, like, what kid asks if they can have a beet green? And she just reached down and picked a beet green and ate it and enjoyed it. And at the same time, there were, you know, other members of our family who are, you know, about our age, having kids, my wife's cousins, et cetera. And they were always amazed at what my kids would eat. And they would say, how do you get your kids to eat, you know, beet greens or kale or whatever it is? And it never really occurred to me. It's just what we had. This is what we eat. And when you give kids an opportunity to be involved in the growing of it, they're just more likely, like David said earlier, they're more likely to be interested in trying it. And then once they try it and it's fresh food from a garden, they're not going to like everything, but they're going to like more than they think they like. Um, and so I think for me, just having had that experience at a personal level in my own family and then seeing it as something that every kid should be able to experience both in terms of trying different delicious foods that are going to be good for them for the rest of their life, having a hand in growing it so that they can be self-sufficient when they become adults um, and have some agency over their food and where it comes from. One of the most important things that we have control over or could have control over. Um, and also doing all of that while making these connections that um, will last for a long time. I think that's really important. And that's kind of what, what drives me to do what I can to expand this so that, you know, like I said, every kid in every school could have an opportunity to, to experience school gardens and what they could learn there. For me, you know, kids are our future and uh, our planet needs our kids to be there for her. And if I can inspire one child to want to grow up and take care of the earth then i've done my job and you know thinking on on the influence that teachers have on and school staff have on our kids it's a it's an honor that i get to do this with kids every single day and i am so happy when a child tells me that their favorite flower is a sunflower and you know i know she's going to be okay today that's beautiful. I I was not like Ryan as a kid. I hated school every single day of it. It's, it's like the biggest school hater ever. And um, and I mean, I loved learning and I loved being outside. I really resented being taken away from um, the world, you know, not being able to be out in the world every day. Um, and I fell into teaching completely by accident, um, working at Tanglewood um, in Lincolnville doing 4-H programs for school, for public schools who would come and stay for three days in cabins. And I'd take the kids out just thrashing through the woods for three days, exploring and playing. And 
I got to really see what kids are like immersed in um, the natural world and an ecosystem just on fire with curiosity and, you know, in love with their world and, um, and got to see their teachers being like, what's going on here? Why are they so engaged? I can't, can't figure it out. And so what I'm trying always to do is just bring that, make that accessible to every kid. And, and, you know, it's not, honestly, it doesn't always work in, in public school. Um, there's still a lot of structural stuff we got to figure out. Um, but I know it can. And, and I have a daughter, a feral wild daughter like Ryan, who, you know, is just so comfortable in the garden, in the woods. Um, so familiar with all these, these other relations of ours, plants and animals. And, um, I want that for all my students. Great. Really beautiful. All three of you. Thank you so much for joining me today and talking about this really important topic and the work you do. Um, I know here at MOFCA, we appreciate the work educators across the state are doing um, and organizations like Food Corps and Maine Egg in the Classroom and Maine School Garden Network. Your work is so important as we move to connect more students to our food systems and create more equity and access to safe and healthy foods. So thank you again so much for joining me today. And I hope you all have a great rest of the school year. Common Ground Radio is a production of the Maine Organic Farmers and Gardeners Association in conjunction with WERU. I'd like to thank my co-host Holly Cedarholm and also our co-worker Claire Boland who produces the show. Common Ground Radio can be heard here on the second Thursday of each month at 4 p.m. Archives of previous episodes can be found on WERU.org as well as on the WERU app. Thanks for tuning in today. Now stay tuned for more great programming right here on WERU 89.9 FM.